Hello, welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 303 for September 28th, 2020. Today's guest is Hallie Morse. She's the founder and CEO of Broadway for Biden, which is an inclusive community of industry professionals and theater enthusiasts united to elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. I am your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 15 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron or you can email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com. So before we get too into this, I would like to offer my apology. The podcast is out a little bit late today, still on a Monday. So I'm still on my run, which I think is nine weeks of being super consistent on Mondays. My goal is typically to get the show out uh, on Saturday or Friday so that patrons can get it early. But this weekend, I was, or actually toward the end of last week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was involved in some animal rescue. If some of you know who have been following this podcast for a long time or who know of my work with the animal book and the animal show, um, there's a... Uh, there's a ritual called Kaporos, which is um, a religious sacrifice using chickens um, to the tune of like 60, 70,000 chickens that are all brought into Brooklyn. It, it, it's not only Brooklyn that it happens, but this is where I'm aware of it. Um, and uh, it's a religious ritual where uh, people take these chickens, pin their wings behind their back and uh, swing them over their heads three times. Um, and say a prayer to um, free the person of their sins. So I've been involved in it in various ways. This year, I was trying to say sort of behind the scenes, and I was helping out at a um, location that we were using to um, help the chickens that had escaped or otherwise been rescued from this. Um, so it takes up a lot of time and a lot of energy. I'm really happy to be involved in some kind of activism again. I have to tell you, I've been saying that sort of blurb I do at the beginning of the podcast for a while, and it's been sort of bothering me when I say the word activist about myself because I hadn't really been doing it for a while. So it was nice to kind of tip back into that. And uh, there's more to say about that, I'm sure. All of that said, uh, it's such a dark, awful thing, but it was super cool to see from that perspective, the network of people who are trying to help. Um, Tens of thousands of chickens suffered immensely over last week. Um, most of them died, um, but may, uh, around three to four hundred of them were saved and are now on their way to sanctuaries around the country. And it's uh, the Alliance to Ban Chickens as Caporos is the organization that does a lot of this work. And my friend Jill is one of the main organizers. And watching her in action and seeing the different levels of people that were helping was really so good. It was so good to see um, in the midst of, I, I, I don't even have words really. Um, if you want to check out my album, the animal album, <laughs> I described the event and, and a rescue that I tried to do. Um, it's streaming everywhere. It feels funny to promote my work about this, but it's why I did that work. And it's why I do this podcast. People who are creative um, and creating work that they're trying to use to enlighten or speak up for those who aren't spoken for and, and that type of thing. So that's what I was trying to do with the album. 
And now I'm kind of going down this weird thing. So all of that is to say, sorry, the podcast is late. <laughs> That's why I was doing a lot of this work. Um, and I'm happy to be doing it. I'm happy to see how others are doing it. And it's, it's very easy. And I talked to John Oberg about this a little bit last week, like how we move forward doing the type of work that we do at, uh, most of my work is focused on animals when I do activism and it's very easy to get into anger and hopelessness about this, especially during Kaporos because it's, it's illegal. There are like multiple health laws that are broken by this happening. They're, they're slaughtering animals in the street. There's dead bodies, dead body parts. There's blood. I'm not exaggerating. I'm, it may sound like I am. It is horrifying. Um, the cops were there. Um, this is, I just know this to be true. They don't even, there was a year that we were out, um, and, and telling people I'm making a complaint about X, um, law, health law that is being broken right there, right on that corner. And I'm, I'm asking you to please do something about it. And they ignore you (laughs) because this, uh, for some reason, the city just allows this to happen. So this year, um, we're also in a pandemic, which was caused, I might add, many people believe in a wet market of animal slaughter. Here we are um, with this huge event throughout the week, um, animal slaughter everywhere in the streets, no social distancing, very few masks, um, and no, mm, no enforcement. So That's where I'm at with that. While you're listening to this, I always feel like it's important to say, if that sounds horrifying to you, it is similarly horrifying in uh, factory farms, um, slaughterhouses, even slaughterhouses that that kill, quote-unquote, humanely raised animals are horrifying. All of this is horrifying, and um, it's not as hard as you think to opt out of it. So there you go. Go vegan. Thanks for listening to that. So we should get into it. But first, I want to do a quick thank you to my subscribers on Patreon who power this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines and bonus podcasts. They're This week, I'll put up the 50th bonus podcast. So if you join, you have immediate access to 50 bonus podcasts, all of my music, digital copies of all these zines I've been making. Um, And uh, it's great. This Wednesday's bonus podcast will be an interview with this week's guest, Hallie Morse. And that's it. Thanks, Patreon.com slash Michael Heron. If you can't do Patreon, if you can't subscribe, you can't afford it or you don't want to, feel free to listen to now 303 free episodes of Mikey Pod podcast. You can find them all at MikeyPod.com. And I think the most recent 100 are in um, directories everywhere. So I've gone on too much, uh, or maybe I've gone on just the right amount. I don't know. But I would love to get into this super awesome conversation I had with Hallie Morse from Broadway for Biden. Please enjoy. Joining me now on the podcast is Hallie Morse. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, For sure. I'm really excited to talk to you. You're doing some really exciting stuff that I'm still trying to get my head around. Um, (laughs) But the but the the main like core of it is that you're working on an organization that you're the founder and CEO of Broadway for Biden. Can you maybe give us a little quick rundown about what that is? Absolutely. Yeah. So I I founded Broadway for Biden and have been running the organization. It is a coalition of 
theater workers, uh, an intersection of industry professionals who are working together to raise funds, to raise awareness, and to increase voter participation this election to ensure an unequivocal win of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So we are a grassroots online community. Um, It is all from the ground up that we are doing this work and we have a bunch of initiatives. Phone banking, number one, um, which is the number one most effective tool uh, to get out the vote, especially during this pandemic. So we do phone banking every single week um, and we have town halls, we have, um, you know, classes, and then of course our performance fundraisers. And it's really just grown tremendously from when I started it, um, I guess in May. And I started as a volunteer. I was um, just helping out with Women for Biden, which is now one of our closest partners and an amazing group. And they have just blown up online. I think they're at like 400,000 now um, members. And they help promote all of our efforts. We partner with them for many of our initiatives. And, you know, from the time that I helped them launch their TikTok back in May until now, we have just grown so much and have, you know, picked up steam and all of the people that are really invested in making change uh, for this election, which is honestly, it's the election of our lifetime. It is the most important thing right now. So we're so appreciative for all the people that are donating their time, um, which is just such a precious commodity. Just talking about the election, <laughs> there's just like heaviness that goes down on me. But I'm so glad that you you have like a, an upbeat quality right now, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It, it's true. I mean, it can, it can feel really heavy, but that's honestly what this came out of was like the heaviness of like, oh, what do I do? Like, you know, you feel you can start to feel helpless. You, every day watching the news, it's so frustrating. And, you know, there are things that you can do. And I think coming together with people who are like-minded helps a lot, you know, even if it's just on zoom Mm -hmm. and our goal is to make it feel, you know, like a party. We want to, we want to dance, dance Joe into the white house. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I have what is kind of like a politics one Oh one question that I would, I guess I'm not too embarrassed to ask about, but I know what phone banking is. It's one of those things that my, my neighbor was talking to me about phone banking because she's going to do it. And I was a little like, I'm not doing that. Like, so maybe I'll throw that out and just kind of like tell myself for thinking that. So you could explain to me and the listeners why that's important, because I know it must be. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that you asked. And it it is really important to sometimes take a step back and, and just you know, what is this thing? And and just give people the rundown. Because I think we've gotten feedback from people um, that they're, you know, nervous about it. They're not sure, you know, what it entails, if they're going to be good at it, if they have the skills to do it. And also like, you know, is it effective? Well, so number one, yes, it is statistically proven to be the most effective tool that we have, um, especially right now during this pandemic, when people would normally be out on the streets, um, collecting uh, information to get people registered, um, to give people, you know, the information they need to get a plan to vote. Um, this is the, the number one thing we can do. And we're trying to just like spread the enthusiasm like crazy and nothing starts a conversation more than, Hey, I'm calling from Broadway for Biden and calling to make sure that you want to defeat Trump with us this November. Mm. And it starts it starts the dialogue. So there are a number of different uh, call lists, right? We do uh, calls to registered Democrats. So these are typically very, you know, 
they're easy-ish conversations, you know, that you're not convincing someone to vote for Biden or to to become registered. Um, so our Monday night phone banks are based on um, our list from the Joe Biden website. And so you're calling them to make sure that they have a plan, that they've got their mail-in ballot, you know, that they have an ABC plan. And then also if they would like to volunteer because continuing to, you know, get the word out and spread that enthusiasm really does matter this election when people are just feeling, you know, unenthused, you know, disengaged. And so this is just a, a really big part of that, you know, one one powerful conversation with somebody can really have a ripple effect. And so for our purposes, we, we walk you through the training of it. It's like a 15 minute training that our uh, phone bank director will walk you through every Monday before we start making those calls. So we have a script, uh, we have supplemental, you know, Broadway for Biden specific information, and it's really pretty simple and actually a lot of fun. So those same, pe same people that were like, I don't know, it seems a little <laughs> like they come to that Zoom and they honestly have a party because we're, we are, we're talking about things that matter to us. We're singing. We have Broadway stars that are there um, in that room also making the calls, you know? So I think there's something, you know, just really beautiful and communal about that. We are also um, launching this week Uni for Biden. So a really big uh, part of this of winning this election is getting the young vote out. And so we've partnered with the group called Field Team Six, and they have lists of unregistered students. And so we are now doing calls to unregistered students to help get them registered. So that training is a little bit more involved. Uh, we will be on the phone with somebody and help them because it's state by state. You know, they don't make this stuff easy, right, Michael? Like right. the rules are different for every single state. So uh, we train this group of people to make those calls, which are definitely, you know, a little harder, you know, just takes a little bit more, um, you know, just skill and, and knowledge and just, you know, having the time to train. So um, that's a little bit more involved, but also so important and um, has really made such a, a difference. I mean, Field Team 6 has been doing this um, for, I think, 12 years now, and they have registered thousands of um, unregistered Americans. So um, we're excited to be doing that. We're uh, doing it, you know, every Monday from now until the election, and then we'll be ramping up with the launch of Uni for Biden. And you know, I just got to say, try it out. You know, you, you never know if you, um, you know, want to want to come back every, every week and even host one for us. I love it. I think part of what happened, like, as you were talking, was like, oh, so this isn't going to be like my week long career as a telemarketer in my 20s. It's going to be like a different thing. <laughs> yeah, to totally different, totally different ballpark. Yeah. Much payoff, I promise. Yeah. And it's and it's with registered Democrats. So it's not like you're going to wind up. I'm saying this so much for my own benefit. So you're not going to wind up with like an irate Trump voter on the other line. Like it's going to be, you know, it's OK. I would say it's like it happens once in a blue moon. I think we've had like one of those um, in the what? seven weeks that we've been doing this. And it's kind of fun when it happens, uh, honestly. <laughs> we could all be there to be your support group uh, if that is the case. But for like 99.9% .9 of the time, it's it's registered Democrats and you're you're calling to to give them the information to make sure that they, you know, have their plan and know how to register and know how to um, get involved in other ways. One of the things I love about what I'm seeing on your website and, and the different places where uh, Broadway for Biden is described is this emphasis on uh, intersectionality and in inclusivity. Um, mm -hmm. What does that look like for you guys? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just something that we talk about all the time. Like since day one uh, is something that's vitally important. I think it's, you know, it's certainly been talked about a lot more in our industry and in the mm-hmm. theater community. And it's people have a heightened awareness now around making sure that the spaces that they occupy are inclusive, that they that they feel inclusive, um, and that everyone is, you know, not just invited or welcome, but actually able to participate and contribute and um, and be involved. So any single person that says, you know, I want to help with Broadway for Biden, they are welcome. We will find a place for you. We will find a meaningful, um, you know, work stream and group that you can be with. Uh, We are a group of now, I think, like 50 volunteers. Um, I mean, it's really a mighty crew. And so intersectionally, this is people from every part of our industry, from marketing to uh, casting, production, our you know stage management. It's all everyone from from every different you know expertise in the field coming together, and that's really the beauty of what's making the ship run you know so so well. And rarely do you see that. Rarely do you see you know industry professionals from all walks of life, stages of their careers coming together to work on this, and it's been so, so beautiful. And every step of what we do um, and across every level and layer of it, we we aim to be inclusive and intersectional. So we talk about it, you know, in every meeting that we have, obviously, like from the casting of the events that we do, we aim to be really thoughtful about it. Um, but even just within our organization, constantly trying to, to do better, you know, and to make sure that we really are holding ourselves accountable. And it's part of what we hope will be the the future of Broadway when it is back. Um, it's something that we all really talk about. We have conversations about this, why it matters to us, what we hope to see. And so anyone that's on board with that vision as well is, is welcome to be a part of it. Um, but we aim to, to really practice what we preach uh, as far as that goes. And so really uh, we are, our doors open and, and hope to have um, as, as, inclusive and as diverse a group as we can Mm. yeah it's uh, i mean obviously there's there's we've we've got issues with that throughout the country but it's particularly noticeable on broadway like in terms of um how theaters are run and the casting and all that kind of stuff so it's really cool to see uh like this statement of we emphasize intersectionality and inclusivity so yeah it's a it's really like this is such a uh divided time in our country. And then there's this whole kind of blanket of COVID over the top of that. But it's really nice to see what the the effort you guys are making. It it feels like an energy of pulling together and lightness. And like you said, dancing and bringing like some joy into what you're doing, because it's so easy to like sink into (laughs) some dark things, right? Oh, especially, I mean, especially during a pandemic. I mean, come on. But like the beauty of it is that like, A, this this organization probably wouldn't exist if it weren't a pandemic. Um, you know, tragically, people are unemployed, right? So we have their time. We have their attention to do these types of things, um, which is really making a difference. I think that the conversations that we're having, though, are, are, are also sort of spawned from that because people are just, they're consuming differently. They're thinking about things differently. They've got the time to really just like acknowledge um 
you know, the privilege that, that they've experienced in life, that, you know, whatever a level of privilege you've experienced and, um, and what you hope to, to do and to see and to be when this is all finally over. And that is, you know, what we, what we aim to do. And it's, it's, like I said, in a part of almost every single conversation that we have, and that is, yeah, it's it's just part of the beauty of of this opportunity that we have. You have evolved a lot in your career. I I just have like a surface view of it um, because you're also a performer. You've been on Broadway. Um, you've done. You've got tons of credits, um, and now you're doing this. What? How? <laughs> How? What? I know. I mean, it's, it's probably a pretty long story, so I don't want to like make you go through all that. But like, what? Maybe some some road road maps along the along the way. So started my career as an actor on Broadway. Um, I played Lisa and Mamma Mia right out of school. I definitely have always, um, you know, pr- pursued my passion, which is theater, which is the arts um, and, and live live performance. Um, along the way, I've also done a lot of other things: um, directing, teaching, producing, and. Uh, I think it was like, how long ago was it? Five years ago that I had actually um, surgery, vocal surgery, and had to stop performing uh, as, you know, happens a lot and can be really unfortunate in our in your career. And for me, it was actually, that was the time I had it for the second time uh, and really wanted to find something else that I wasn't going to have to uh, always rely on that instrument Thankfully, it's back, and I'm and I'm and I'm good now, and I've been able to perform since then. But also, really, always wanted to reach my potential in other ways and be sort of the architect of shows and not just the actor in them. Mm. And felt that I needed to develop a skill set that was going to allow me to to make an impact, the impact that I wanted. So I have had the privilege of working on a number of shows and with a number of. Um, organizations, the public theater that I love. I ran a, a nonprofit theater in the city, T. Schreiber Theater, um, done a lot of independent producing of, of shows, social justice theater productions uh, that have been a passion of mine, um, developing shows in uh, for correctional facilities and shelters in the city, um, and just really found a passion in, in breaking down barriers, economic barriers, geographic barriers, and um, that will always continue to be a passion of mine. But I think when you are an artist, uh, it is difficult, I think, sometimes to be seen in a different light. And um, and also there's there's a skill set that you develop and you develop it over time. But I always wanted to go back to school for something. And mm-hmm. I reached a point where um, just in my research, I realized that studying business is, is never a bad thing, that you can do a lot of things with it. And... Um, so I made my mission to go back to school and get my MBA and, uh, getting that degree from Columbia business school, I think has been, um, just such a a huge turning point for me and in my development and has, you know, I think launched me into sort of a corporate world now, as I go into, uh, management consulting, uh, I've now done like strategy work with entertainment companies and hope to continue to do, uh, more within entertainment, um, but broadening my skill set has, I think, really led to the even the thought that I could do something like 
a Broadway for Biden, right. um, producing at a large scale, um, having um, that level of of impact and um, yeah, that's just it's been my journey and I'm and I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad I took the leap. It was scary as hell to to uh, to pivot in that way, but um, I, I'm certainly glad that I did. And it feels really good to be back with with my artists right now and doing something with them too. It's really cool to hear that. I always, I don't know why I'm thinking of, I'm having like flashbacks to my twenties right now, but again, like this, there was a good friend of mine who was a ballet dancer and she'd always been in the ballet. She was in Houston ballet and um, she had her whole like career planned out. Like she had a whole trajectory that she was expecting to do. And then she got injured and she couldn't dance anymore. And she was in that place where she was like, what, like what now? Like that's all she had ever done. Um, yeah. And she also pivoted and like the the end of that story is she's doing great and doing different things. Um, but I think it, it's, it's great to hear of that type of thing. And also like the combination of performer and business person, because there's so many times, like I, I think at this point in history, with or without COVID, it's important for artists to really have an understanding of how to run a business just because our lives sort of have to be that way on the internet and with our social media and running yeah. our finances and all that type of thing. Um, so it's really kind of cool to hear that you've got, you've got them both like locked in. It sounds like. Well, we're, we're on our way. Definitely. Um, always evolving, but I, I have to, say that I think that artists are by nature incredibly entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and uh, I mean certainly nobody works harder than than a, a New York actor and um, we craft yeah our own one person business from your the branding you know working with your your different teams whether it's the show you're in your agents uh, there there is definitely you know business savvy that that actors possess um, and I think can be really strong assets. Uh, in the business world, and I think can really shine a light uh, to being able to do business and with like a heightened empathy that um, uh, I think we all we all kind of need, especially mm. right now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm always happy to talk to to actors that are that are interested in that path in in you know going down a different way. Life is long, hopefully, and we can do <laughs> many things. So that's so true. <laughs> When I, there, I had a period in my life when I turned 40 that I was just like, okay, that's it. Like I, I had my run, like let go of those dreams, you know? <laughs> and no. then, and it was a couple years after that, that I was found like, or, okay. So it looks like I'm still like walking the earth. Maybe I'll try to make some different art and stuff. And now I've been doing so much more than I ever did before. Um, right. Yeah. That happens how and it all just comes to fruition all of the different roads that you took how they all kind of can join and and meet and you know it can be something even better than what you initially planned yeah I would love to like underline something you said because I think it's really important for me to remember and like any artists that are listening to this where you you said that that artists and performers are uh, not your words inherently entrepreneurs inherently good at that and I think that you know I tend to buy into that same sort of myth about you know artists uh, the starving artist you're gonna be poor if you're an artist and then maybe that's a thing that I'm buying into too of like oh I have such a hard time I'm not a business person I'm an artist like no like (laughs) 
you can do it. You can put those things together. And it, and it, I just wanted to restate that for myself and for anybody who's listening. I think it's really important for us to remember. Yes. Amen. Yes. And creating your own work too. Right. I mean, cause that, I mean, is kind of what we need to do or can do now. Right. There's, there's so many ways to do it. Um, and it feels really good. It always feels better when you are doing the thing when you're creating it. Um, and, uh, even if it's not, you know, the, what you thought it would be, you'll, you'll likely, you know, get something out of it. Um, if you really put it, put it in, put in that work and, and just try. Yeah. Another amen for that one too. (laughs) (laughs) So with Broadway for Biden, what, how can people get involved uh, if they want to become volunteers, if they want to donate, um, where can they find out about upcoming events? Thank you for that uh, lovely opportunity to pitch all of <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, those are really the ways to get involved. It's it's volunteering, donating, and I would say amplifying, too. Uh, so volunteering your time is really the number one thing. If you have the time, we invite anyone on this call listening to join us on Monday nights for our phone banks. Um, I think I've gone on long enough about how important they are, but they really, really are um, such an effective tool. We have set it up for you every Monday night. So all you got to do is show up and and be a part of it. Um, and we'll be doing that from now until the election. Uh, also, you know, if you'd come, you know, share about it, talk about it. Um, you know, word of mouth and social media is so powerful. So we have these phone banks that you know, have splashy names in them, but really we created this for it to be an election home for our community. So we hope that, um, that you feel empowered to come any any Monday night and also to invite friends, you know, to call, send an email to the cast of the last show you did, tell them that you're going on this Monday night to Broadway for Biden's phone banking and, and bring a cohort. Um, post about things on social media. We are all over, you know, on the Twitter, the Facebook, the TikTok. Our TikTok is so crazy fun. Um, and we're doing just a lot of really creative uh, videos, but also disseminating key information. So really trying to get the word out about ways that you can, um, you know, be a poll worker in your local area, registering in time, voting um, protocols per state. Uh, so just amplifying in that way is also uh much appreciated. And number three, fundraising. Uh, obviously, an election is won by hard-fought funds that are raised. And so we are doing our part. We have a donation link that is uh, our specific link that will go to the Biden Victory Fund. So if you go to broadwayforbiden.com and click donate, that will take you to our credited page with the Broadway or with the Biden Victory Fund. Uh, and so we encourage people to use that when they when they donate. And of course, we are also doing performance fundraisers. And we are really excited to deliver our large concert next month. It's October 21st. Uh, so save the date. And we will be, um, you know, announcing soon all of the starry top, top, names that will be a part of that. And in addition, we are also doing our um, other performance fundraisers and watch parties and classes that you can take, which are by donation and just anything that you can give. Great. If you can't give, you can also share the word, spread spread it out. Um, but everything is uh, accessible, which is one of our, our, our key tenants as well. So you'll be able to view anything, but we do encourage your donation if you are able. Mm. 
I love it. Uh, so I'll also include at MikeyPod.com uh, for people who are listening while you're doing something else. If you just go to MikeyPod.com, the show notes for this show will have uh, a links and things for you to click and give money and sign up for things and not give money and just view things. I love that part of what you're doing too. Um, yeah. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's been so great to talk to you. And um, I think we're going to do a little conversation. People are listening uh, for patrons only. So if you want to hear more of our conversation, um, you could check it out on Patreon. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Michael. And so concludes another episode of Mikey Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Hallie Morse, for being on the show today. Check out Broadway for Biden, everyone. And it dawned on me as I was editing this show, this is a podcast. I could play the track that I created about Kaporos, which I mentioned early in the show. It's on the Animal album. It was in the Animal show. You can get the Animal book, too, if you want to listen with your eyes. What? Anyway, I thought I'd go ahead and end with that track in case you're curious what I was talking about. Uh, this is, well, you'll hear it. It's story, music, etc. Um, thank you so much for joining me and listening this week, and I'll see you next week. year, 60,000 chickens descend on Brooklyn for Yom Kippur. They don't transport themselves, of course, because well, chickens can't fly. And as far as I know, they don't observe Yom Kippur either. In spite of this, they attend the pre-game Yom Kippur ritual known as Kippuros in great numbers. These chickens are the most important guests and arguably pay the greatest price for admission. Practitioners of this ritual will grasp a chicken, pinning her wings behind her back. They will raise the chicken above their heads and wave her around three times while reciting this prayer. This is my exchange. This is my substitute. This is my atonement. This chicken will go to charity, while I will enter and proceed to a good long life and to peace. The rabbi then hands the chicken to the shochet, who slits the chicken's throat, tosses her into a bucket, and lets her bleed out. She waits there for as long as it takes to die. Peace. You can hear the chicken's cries of pain for blocks around the ritual site. It's the only thing striking enough to distract from the smell of death and blood in the street. They say that the birds sing out of happiness during the ritual. It doesn't take a genius, though, to see that these chickens do not know joy, and probably never have.
The night before the Kapuras rituals began, I rode around the Hasidic neighborhoods of Borough Park in Williamsburg with a few friends who had haphazardly decided to attempt a rescue. I was nervous, but the excitement of saving even a few lives pushed me along. The four of us drove around in an SUV for several hours in the middle of the night. To my surprise, there were others out too, trucks stacked with crates of live chickens. Each crate held about 12 chickens and was made out of what was once brightly colored plastic, now dingy gray and white, covered in shit from the imprisoned birds. We were out there for a long time looking at potential targets and I was beginning to wonder if the trucks were still making deliveries when we finally came across one. I'd been picturing a U-Haul truck at most, something small but utilitarian. What we saw then, though, was no U-Haul. It was a big 18-wheeler, stopped in the middle of the street. There were hundreds of these crates stacked on the truck, each crate full of chickens who were crying out in what sounded like panic. I wondered if they were crying out for help, but in retrospect, I realized that they probably had no idea what help was. All they probably knew was the inside of a shed, and now these crates in this truck. Their only experience had been suffering and fear. There appeared to be four men on the truck who tossed the live chicken-stuffed crates onto the street. I heard them shouting and the diesel engine running and, of course, the cries of the birds inside as their crates were tossed from ten feet or so onto the pavement. Hard. We sat in our vehicle staring at the scene in silence. I can still taste the crushing helplessness that enveloped the four of us when we saw that truck. There were so many. So many voices. It's now 3 a.m. All the deliveries appear to have been made, and if we don't act fast, we will miss our chance to save any chickens. We've decided on our target. Right out in the street, literally in the street, where one might park a car, there are 30 or so of these crates full of chickens stacked up. There's no one around. This is it. The two of us in the back seat hop out and run over to the chickens, and I realize I'm wearing these fucking bright green pants. I didn't know this was even going to be happening tonight, but it is, and I'm almost there, so I grab the crate as our lookout opens the back door of the SUV. I toss the crate inside and turn back for another, just in time to see my compatriot returning from the stack. We gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, he whispers. I don't know what's happening, but I run like hell, and we all jump in the truck, and just as my door closes, I hear a smack. And through the window, I see four Hasidic men screaming at us. One has a huge piece of plywood, and he's beating on our truck. The others beat with their fists and they're all screaming at us. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you, thieves! Our driver speeds off when we get the fuck out of there. As we drove, I took a peek in the back of the truck to look at our rescues. At first glance, the chickens in the crate appeared to be in decent condition. I mean, they were covered in shit and there were bald spots on their feathers from all the rough handling, but everyone appeared to be alive and conscious, but they were babies still peeping and small with fuzz instead of feathers on their back. They're the same age as the ones I used to buy in pieces at the grocery store. They seemed like objects there, ingredients, but here they were, all in one piece. Individuals in need. When I showed up at the first night of protest, there were only a small group of activists on the scene, but it was still early. The people who had arrived before me explained that at this particular spot, they had moved the ritual indoors. There was rumored to be a small location where chickens were being sold on a residential street in Borough Park, Brooklyn, so a few of us headed over there to protest that site. We had to park several blocks away from the site, but even from that distance, the stench hit my face immediately upon getting out of the car. Oh, is that the chickens? I could hear their cries in the distance and the smell got worse with each step. It was horrific. Then we saw the site, a dump of a place on a corner lot half enclosed by a chain link fence. There were stacks of the now familiar crates on the pavement. Some contained live chickens, but there were quite a few whose occupants had already been slaughtered. 
A rabbi wearing a blood-soaked apron held a crying chicken by her wings and waved her over a baby in a stroller. Handed the chicken over to another man who jerked the chicken's head back, slit her throat, and tossed her twitching body into a trash can. Until that moment, seeing the ritual take place for the first time, I had on some level believed that they're not really doing that, are they? And I'm not exaggerating, the smell was overwhelming and I wanted to puke when I looked down and saw that I was standing in a river of an unknown liquid whose source could not be seen behind the tarped off back end of the lot. The putrid liquid was running down the driveway and into the street. We stood in silence watching the scene, smelling the smells, hearing the cries and ignoring the proprietor who was taunting us. I guess he felt safe and unthreatened by the five sign wielding hippies standing in his driveway looking sad and taking pictures. But one by one, our numbers grew. When there were 10 of us, we created a picket line, marching and shouting on this little residential street. It was well past 9 p.m. and some of the neighbors started coming outside. Then there were 15 of us, and then 20. The proprietor had begun to change his tune and was starting to look nervous. He actually offered one of us a live chicken or two in hopes that it would get us to go away. But now there were 25 of us, and we weren't leaving. Then the police arrived in two cruisers and a big van. The cops opened the back door of the van and dragged out barricades and set them up for us across the street. At first we were getting very, oh hell no, we won't go about the whole thing until a few of us looked around and realized that we were surrounded on all sides by the residents of this orthodox neighborhood. They had come out of their homes to see what the hubbub was all about. We were far outnumbered, but energized by the fact that our still small group had been able to create such a disturbance. At some point after the cops arrived, I started to hear car alarms going off, one after another. Some residents decided to drown us out by triggering their alarms. Picture it, 30 some odd shouting protesters with signs, two streets blocked off and crowded with jeering Orthodox Jews, three police vehicles with flashing lights and the echoes of car alarms in the streets of a residential neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. And then I saw something that changed everything. One of the men who was standing in front of the entrance to the ritual site had grabbed a live chicken and began thrashing her over his head to torment us. He was torturing this chicken to get back at us. Our chance almost immediately changed with the energy of helplessness I assume we all felt. We were angry before. Now we chanted solemnly. We see you. We care. We're sorry. We're trying. We see you. We care. We're sorry. We're trying. We see you. We care. We're sorry. We're trying. 